Thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. First service, uh, I did a lot of rabbit trails. So she's going to, they were fun rabbit trails, but she's going to help me rein it in a little bit. <coughs> but yeah, it's good to be with you all. This is fun. Uh, in the mid to late 1800s, there was a famous tightrope walker. Uh, I'm part of the tightrope walker uh, fantasy league. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. <laughs> That's so dumb. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> oh, see, here goes a rabbit trail. Good grief. Come on, focus. Um, his name was, uh, forget his name. Anyway, so he's uh, has this crowd. Just like, let's say you're the crowd, and uh, I'm, I'm uh, uh, this guy, this tightrope walker, and and he's saying, uh, do you believe I can walk across this tightrope 160 feet suspended in the air? No nets beneath me. And the crowd goes, yay. Go, yeah. yeah. And he does it. He comes back and they cheer. Yeah. And he says, do you believe I can carry out a stove and cook an omelet in the middle of this tightrope? And they say, yeah. and he goes out, he does it, he comes back and they cheer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. He cooked an omelet on a tightrope. I mean, rope. an That's omelet, come on. Right. It's the beginning of Denny's at that point in the 1800s. And then, um, then he says, do you believe I can walk across this tightrope with a wheelbarrow? And they all say, yeah. And he says, great. I need a volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow. Silence. And then there was some silence. That guy, you already have a broken arm, dude. <laughs> that was from the last time you got in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> but the idea is they all believed that he could do all of these great things. And then when he invited a person to get into the wheelbarrow with him walking the tightrope, now we're beyond belief and now we're talking about trust. It's a whole different thing. And Dennis is in a series of what, what Christ people do. And one of the basic, most profound, risky, awesome, intense things God has invited you and me to do at any given moment, however it may look, is to get into the wheelbarrow. It can look like anything. That's what's so wonderful is we can't compare. Dennis and Kathy, they have done things that I could never do, that Christine and I could never do. They're gifted in unique ways. It's just amazing. But the one thing we have in common, among many things, is we both can obey. All of us can obey. So how it looks, that's between you and God. And even the results are up to God. He'll, he'll provide results for you to cultivate and keep. But I don't have, we don't have to think about results. Some may water, some may plant. God gives the increase. But the invitation to Christ people, what we do is we get in the wheelbarrow no matter what that looks like. We get in the wheelbarrow, and for some it might be finally apologizing to that person. For others it might be finally receiving that apology and forgiveness. For some it might, it, it, it could be finally speaking to the neighbor that God's been prodding at you for years and years. Would you please go let them know my love? Get into the wheelbarrow. And, and it's a word, really, it's a fun way to say obey. In American westernized mind thought, you know, we don't really like that word. <laughs> obey. But obey is just a, another word for love. 
And love is another word for trust, and trust is another word for obey. And so the invitation constantly for Christ people is just to get in the wheelbarrow, however that looks. It makes me think of um, a story. In the late 90s, I thought some friends are here that journeyed this out with us. Um, We were working at a church here in town, had the privilege of being associate pastors. Well, he was. I just came along for the ride. And we got to plant um, a a Generation X church and serve the poor and reach out to the hurting and the homeless and the broken. And and we had people living with us, and it it was crazy. It was awesome. And to be honest, we felt like we were living our dream. It felt like the very reason that we were alive was to do what we were doing. And here we were, and uh, much younger than we are now, but we were fully and completely living our purpose. The only problem was is that my husband um, slid into a, a deep, dark clinical depression. And, um, and I was just slightly, maybe severely codependent. And so we made it go for a while, and nobody really knew what was going on. We called out to a couple of friends, please pray. But he was bad. I mean, it was, he was going darker and darker and darker. And I was covering, and I was holding up and balancing all the balls and doing everything that we knew to do. But this is our purpose, so we're not going to give up. We're not going to walk away. Because that would be against what God has called us to do, right? I mean, once you find your purpose, once you're living that dream, the last thing you think God's ever going to ask you to do is to walk away. That just doesn't seem like the Lord. And so... But that's exactly what he did. In the middle, um, it was almost 2000, I think it was 1999, or right? 2000. It was 2000. Um, <laughs> all the 1999 stuff just came flooding back. Now I got to stay focused. So the, uh, it was 2000, and we, um, and Craig got a job offer in Tulsa, Oklahoma to go back into radio. He had left radio to minister full time, and um, he got a call for a job offer in Tulsa to go back into radio. And and it felt like, you know, Peter going back to fishing. It felt like the wrong thing, but yet God spoke. And our getting in the wheelbarrow in that moment was walking away from our dreams. It was walking away from our gifts, from our callings, from the very purpose that we knew that we were alive on this planet. The Lord was asking us to lay that down. And you don't ever think you're supposed to sacrifice your calling. But that's exactly what he was asking us to do. And I can look back now and I can understand why. We weren't ready. It was, it was yes, we were doing a lot of the things that we were called to do, but we were, um, we were toxic, we were unhealthy, we were immature, we were not ready to do what we were doing. But the gifts and the calling of God were pulling us forward and enabling us to do something that our hearts and our spirit and our emotions and our minds was just simply not ready to do. And the Lord in his mercy put us in that wheelbarrow. And I remember getting in that wheelbarrow, saying yes to him, pulling away from everything that we knew and loved here. And it was one of the scariest things we ever did. And, uh, and it was a long time before things got better. It got darker. Yeah. First. Yeah, I went through a decade of clinical depression. Um, it got so bad, I, uh, I'm just going to be honest with you, I, I cut myself with a knife or with a cutter. I abused alcohol. <laughs> and I, I leaned my head against a rifle a few times. But I'm here today by God's grace and power. Amen. And I'm healed. Yeah. And uh, that's a whole other conference. 
we learned a lot, but, you know, maybe what, what kept me in the wheelbarrow, so to speak. I, I remember one morning I came out, it was a December morning, I was cold, dark morning, 4 a.m., standing on the porch, miserable, dark inside and out. <coughs> and all of a sudden I heard some music. And I kind of leaned in a little more and I heard it again, and it was the wind blowing through some chimes. And the Holy Spirit just whispered and said, Craig, I can make beautiful things, even in the darkness. And I can reveal mysteries in the darkness. And I can illuminate your darkness. And the light will continue to shine in your darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. The darkness cannot comprehend it. You are a son of light. You are a daughter of light. Yeah, I have to lead, follow leading real fast. If you, if you deal with that, there's many factors involved in depression. But I just want to say, Father, I thank you for renewing the spirits of our minds of those who are dealing with that. And in the name of Jesus Christ, you spirit of depression, you have to melt like wax in the presence of God. You have no choice. In Jesus' name. And so it was this idea of enduring. Yeah? Hey, I mean, just sometimes just waking up in the morning and saying, Jesus, you are my Lord, but that's all I can do. That's the wheelbarrow. That's the, Amen. I'm not giving up. I'm not running away. I'm just going to stay right here in front of you and not move. Sometimes that takes an immense amount of faith. You know, can anybody relate to that? I mean, that's amazing. Actually, there's a scripture I have. Uh, Hebrews 11.27. Actually, God has it. I just brought it. Uh, <laughs> we didn't write it. Just move on right. to Hebrews. That's, in oh, case hey, you were wondering. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by faith he left, he being Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. If you really pare it down or, or dissect that, here's how you could put it. By faith Moses left, the, left Egypt. Okay. In Egypt, you understand, Moses had everything there. Just picture your wildest dreams, all of your needs met, financially, status, everything, never a problem. He was set for life, okay? But by faith, he left Egypt. He got in this wheelbarrow. And it goes on, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered, he endured, he continued, he held his course, continued strong, moved forward because he saw him who is invisible, seeing him who is unseen. He endured as if he had seen God who is unseen. He kept seeing God right in front of him. And Christ's people jump in the wheelbarrow seeing the one who is unseen. And we trust in him. We have come to know, there's another scripture, 1 John 4.16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Awesome. I think a better translation is this. We have come to know and trust the love that God has for us. Because we can come across many people and say, do you know the love of God? Oh, yes, yes. But the wheelbarrow situation is totally different, isn't it? Even the demons believe and shudder, right? But we have something extra going on. And as you study Moses getting into the wheelbarrow and leaving Egypt, commentators said, if you do a word study, it literally says, and he acted entirely unlike himself. And that's what sons and daughters do. 
We don't do it, but what happens, God invites us into the wheelbarrow, and at that moment, he's saying, you are about to act entirely unlike your natural self. You are going to act like the son and daughter you are, in the eyes of heaven, in the eyes of hell. Even though your feet are here, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, breathing heavenly air with him. <laughs> Those who are joined with the Lord are one spirit. Amen? People wonder why I laugh. Just a side note, the hope of the righteous is laughter. David prayed, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Literally translated means laughter. And Jesus was anointed with the oil of laughter far above his fellow kings. Laughter is a weapon. <laughs> laughter is warfare. Amen. Sometimes just laughing at the enemy is all. Laughter is the beginning of prayer. Amen. <laughs> you just come in and he who sits on the heaven laughs and you just join in the laughter. Amen. Yes, Amen. we have problems and all that stuff, but man, I like to bathe it in laughter first. So that was a rabbit trail. <laughs> but they're the best part, don't you think? <laughs> I love the rabbit trails. <laughs> Where are we now, babe? Oh, um, you want to read that quote? Um, I will in a second. Okay. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I missed that. Yeah, let's do that. Sorry. We're not really formal. Is that all right? You guys seem like you're okay with that. Kind of feel like we're sitting in your living room and just chatting a bit. You know, we spent years being inauthentic, and it's just exhausting. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) Yeah, so sorry. This is it, man. Right. We're not staying. We are leaving tomorrow. <laughs> so you're okay. <laughs> we don't have to clean up the mess. Right, right, right. Those two do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, so my good friend Leonard Sweet, who I have no idea who he is, um, had, they wrote this quote. It says, on the cross, leadership dies. On the cross, success dies. On the cross, skills die and excellence dies. All of my strengths nailed to the cross. All of my weaknesses nailed to the cross. All of my yearnings for bigger and better, for anything other than Christ himself, nailed to that same cross. And that cross, not to sound trite, but you talk about a wheelbarrow that God offered for Jesus to climb into. He became obedient, right, to the point of death. Even though saying, Father, if this could pass, but but not my will, yours be done. And he gets in that wheelbarrow. Why? Because he saw the one who was unseen. And he acted entirely unlike any other man on the face of the planet. And because of that one faithful act, look at what we have. Grace upon grace upon grace. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Strength in the tough times. Yeah. Okay, so you, you want to dive into some Middle East stuff real fast? Yeah, but you just told the punchline. I did? You did. So, um, well, no, Dennis told the punchline. Oh, okay. So, um, I'm not going to go into my big, long childhood story, um, but, you know, typical story of abuse, and um, it's sad that that's a typical story. But my, um, the biggest struggle that I had coming out of that was fear. I barely spoke as a child. Not many people know that, except for you now. I barely spoke as a child. I was um, super, super uh, shy, afraid of every human on the planet, pretty much. And so um, you fast forward, and here we are in the vineyard, and, and um, Craig is the dynamic preacher, and I'm the quiet pastor's wife, at least in my own head. I might have opened my mouth more than I remember. 
But, <laughs> um, but fast forward a little bit, here we are in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm still riddled with fear. I think I learned how to fake it for a while, but I'm riddled with fear and have fear in every area of my life. And, and so here we are in 2005. Um, we had accidentally planted another church. We really didn't want to. Uh, they just kept showing up. He was depressed. We just kept telling them to go away, and they kept coming. I don't know. That's a whole, that's a whole other conference. <laughs> and I went not to do. But we, um, I had this moment. I, I was letting the dog in. You know, I, I, um, we had a German Shepherd type dog. It was raining outside. I was letting him in and wiping off his paws. And it was, so it was a really normal moment of life. And I had this really radical vision. And I, it doesn't happen to me often, but this was a full-on vision. Like I saw the movie screen in front of me, right? And in the vision, um, I, I saw the rolling hills of, uh, covered in grass. And there were small groups of people in various spots quite far from each other uh, over the sprawling land. And um, the ground was trembling. Like I, I, I realized it was horse hooves. Like, a, a, like masses, a uh, large number of horses you could feel were charging and running towards these people. And I could feel the danger. You just felt the boo, 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 And it, I could feel it. I was emotionally involved. I'm watching this. I'm, I could feel the danger. And I desperately wanted to scream to these people to get them out of the way because they're about to head um, some big, big troubles heading their direction. And so, but I knew they couldn't hear me. And I, I'm just in a panic. And then the vision stops. And I hear the Lord say, they must hear my voice. They have got to hear my voice. And it all stops. And it felt like the spirit of the Lord just, and he, was, he wasn't gone, but you know. And I, I was really shaken. I had no idea what that meant. I was doing some classes in the area on hearing the voice of God. And so I, um, I, I suddenly had a heart for those who were in danger. And I started praying that the people who were in danger would hear God's voice. Well, I had no idea what that meant, but a couple days later, um, there's a, a friend of a friend who's a missionary in the Middle East was sitting in my living room, and he was telling me how he had been working with uh, uh, churches in Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, and Egypt in regards to changing their theology about women and, and setting the women free and, and encouraging the women to come forward in their gifts and telling the men how valuable the women are and, and just straightening everything out. And, and with the pastors, they had had... Um, their doctrine straightened out, but experientially, the women wouldn't budge. I mean, I don't think these men used to beat them, you know? I mean, there, it takes a lot to get a woman off a chair once she's been beaten. And so they were sitting there. And so this guy asked me, uh, he had gone to one of my conferences, and he had asked me, would you um, go to Damascus, Syria, and teach a conference on the voice of God? And because of that vision, I knew I had to say yes. But you have to understand, I, um, out of all my fears... He was asking me to do the thing I was afraid of the most. Well, a multiple of things I was afraid of the most. I didn't like flying. And I, um, I had seen years ago, I had seen that movie, Not Without My Daughter with Sally Field. Has anybody seen that? I needed inner healing after that movie. It was traumatizing. They, I mean, Sally Field marries a man from another faith, and she's living in an Arab land, and, and they want to take her daughter away. It's, it's don't watch it. <laughs> don't. I advise you not to watch it. And so I had done these things, you know, in those silly moments in worship where you're like, I'll do anything for you, Lord, except go to the Middle East. And, uh, and here I'm hopping a plane out of sheer raw obedience. I'm getting in the wheelbarrow, 
and saying, yes, I, you were very clear. I need to go talk to these people. I have no idea what's happening. At that point in time, there was nothing going on in Damascus, Syria, and all of Syria was a very peaceful place. But still, it was, you know, a, a very scary country. And Islam is just um, not a warm, welcoming thought to me. And so I did. I went, and we taught a whole conference on the voice of God. And, um, and it was quite the experience. But uh, from there, we went over to Jordan and taught another conference on the voice of God. I made best friends with all the pastor's wives. I, had, I was the first ever woman to be given a microphone and a pulpit in these churches. They just didn't do that. The women were set free. It was amazing. And so I got um, caught up. I, I basically, I fell in love with these people. And can we put that picture up of the prayer room? Now, see, this, um, the man in red is Emil Tarsha. And he, um, this is a prayer room in Damascus, Syria. It's on the roof of their apartment building because they lost their church and they are now underground. And uh, when the war broke out, just months after I had been there, their answer was to pray. I had gone and I had taught on 24-7 prayer. I had taught on the power of corporate prayer and about pulling together and so they put a tent up on their roof. Now think about this. There was missiles flying all around this prayer room. There were bombs going off and taking out the buildings across the street from them. And they positioned themselves on the roof, which is where missiles fall. But that's the only space they had. They said, we're going to use it for prayer. These are ones that have decided not to leave. Even though they blessed the refugees and understood why people were deciding to leave, they said, no, we're not budging. We're staying right here. These people need Jesus. I don't care if we die in this place. This is my land. I'm not leaving until everybody here knows Jesus. Every other pastor in the city had left except for that man. And he just still, he's still there. He refuses to leave. But they pray every night together in this tent. They drive through sniper fire. No matter what it takes, they have to hear the voice of God to turn right or turn left as they drive down the street or walk down the sidewalk. There's been many times where the family in front of them was taken out by a bomb, and they just kept walking and went straight to prayer. What, and then I'll stop and toss it back to you, but what, um, what happened in me is my, my personal journey is um, when you have to, when you face people like this, when you get on that plane and you fly into a place that terrifies you, there's no other way to battle fear than, um, than to say, Lord, if I die on this day, it's okay. And utter surrender, when we lay our life down and we're, we're, I mean, surrender is our battle of fear, right? We don't battle fear by warring against it. That just strengthens the flesh. Perfect love is what casts out fear. And as we surrender ourselves to perfect love, fear leaves because the enemy has nowhere to stand. And so I, I had to stand before the cross of Christ and say, you know what? If I die, it's okay. I'm, I'm following you. I'm getting in that wheelbarrow. And I got set free of fear, mm. which <clears throat> they have helped me do. Amen. You can put it this way. Oh, yeah, hey. Obedience is an invitation to experientially live in the love of God. I mean, we live in his love. He is love. But obedience is, <clears throat> it's like those guys in Matthew 7. 
uh, where Jesus says a freaky statement, you know, he says, depart from me, I don't know you, and they're saying, hey, but we cast out demons and we accurately prophesied, we did these things, right? So it's not about doing per se, and Jesus says, I don't, depart from me, I don't know you, the things you did I did not authorize. It's interesting that the God who knows all is saying to one of his creatures, I don't know you, but that word know is the same word that Mary used when the angel said, hey, you're going to have a kid, and he said, but I don't know a man. I don't intimately and experientially know someone else to produce life. And so Jesus was saying the same thing. Yes, you've been doing things, but all I've ever invited you into was this experiential love encounter where you're so love-sick, as Song of Solomon would say, so love-drunk, imbibe deeply, O lovers, that you don't even know you're obeying half the time. Because it's, you don't have to strain against leaning on your own understanding. You're just in it. <laughs> You're just surrounded by the love of God. Amen? Amen? Yep. Oh, that's fun. And so we could go on and on. You know, to put it this way, it's like uh, I've heard it said, whether you're doing the dishes or raising the dead, if it's the will of God, the pay is the same. <laughs> Amen? Amen? I mean, to some of you, the perfect will of God is do the dishes. I'm pretty sure that's you, babe. <laughs> you know, I love doing the dishes. I know. You're, I, it's very medicinal. I just couldn't miss it. I know. It was good. Right, nice you. job. <laughs> but that's what's so fun is you can't compare because when we compare, we lack understanding. That's what Scripture tells us. And what's some of the understanding that we lack? We forget that we're all part of a body. I can't dare compare to my bro right there. I can't. He's a unique creature. I'm not going to waste my time comparing. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to sublet my weaknesses to him, right? So I get to rejoice in the strengths he has and help him in his weaknesses. And so now it's just about obedience. And we could cheer each other on, stimulate each other to love and good deeds, right? Oh, man, that's fun. Praise God. And so all of a sudden, obedience is just a great word. Oh, here, for love. Here, look. And then we're uh, noon. Oops. Check this out, man. This is awesome. This is John, the Gospel of John. Pat, did you, am I okay? <laughs> Are you good with a couple more hours? Uh, so so it, it goes on and on, you know. So here, here we're in Tulsa. House church is going great. I have a number one Christian radio show in Tulsa. And then, then God says, and this is how I hear him in my head, hey, kiddo, we're going to Indianapolis now. And I get this job offer for a national radio show, right? And just to be honest, big bucks, crazy experiences, hanging out with Chris Tomlin, Carrie Job in Madison Square. Right. It was ridiculous, you know, having to host cruises every year. Suffering for Jesus. Yeah. So we do that for four years, and, and then God says, hey, now I want you to quit your radio career, Craig. Join your wife full-time with house churches, the Middle East, 24-7 prayer with Pete Craig. Leave it all behind. You're going to live off people's generosity. Leave it. Go. And so at that point, I'm like, oh, God, you know I love you. <laughs> but. <laughs> right. Right, right. But that's a wheelbarrow. And the tightrope and the length. Like, there's no nets. But the cool thing is, I feel like he says, Craig, what am I asking you to do when you get in the wheelbarrow? like, I don't know what. He says, I just want you to sit. I want you to be, and I want you to enjoy this risky journey. Because those who are born of the Spirit are like the wind. Amen? Unpredictable, 
powerful, gentle, strong, all rolled into one. And so then we did that, and it'll be a year in May. Yeah? Okay, cool. Just one little scripture. This is John 14, passage, uh, Passion Translation. This is Jesus' words. Loving me empowers you to obey my commandments. See, because sometimes when we think what Christ people do because of our binary, linear, black and white thinking, we see stop and go. Black and white. No! No, no, no. He invites us to throne room realities amen. where everything is yes and amen. Amen, amen. And if it's a no, you're going to know because he guides us and leads us for his namesake. Mm -hmm. So if he's guiding you into that wheelbarrow, however it looks, jump in. You have nothing to lose except your ego which is awesome. <laughs> hey, I've been able to embarrass myself in front of 16 to 20 million people on the radio, man. It's like really stinks, and it's also great <laughs> at the same time, you know? I think that's one of the key reasons God brought me to Caleb. <laughs> and he's sitting up in heaven just snickering. It was great. But my ego was thinning as Christ was getting fat. Amen? Here's another scripture. <laughs> So that was loving me empowers you to obey my commands. And then he says over here in John 14, 23, loving me empowers you to obey my word. And then in John 15, uh, 10, if you keep my commandments, and, and keep in mind when we hear this, he's saying if you trust me, if you trust me, you can't keep his commandments without trusting. If you trust me, you will live in my love. You will experience. You have his love. You're in him. But then we get to experience his love. And the way we do that is by obedience, by trusting, by jumping in the wheelbarrow. Amen? So I, I feel like, and Dennis, if you want to come up. and, But I, I feel like there's a few different groups of people in the room. And um, one group is carrying something that they feel like the Lord has called them to, but they're in a waiting season. And if the waiting is from the Lord, that's a good thing, right? If he's, sometimes he holds us back in the waiting, but sometimes we can get stuck in the waiting when it's no longer the Lord. And uh, the thing about a tightrope is there's no keeping balance really when you're standing still on it. We have to keep moving. And faith, uh, faith moves. Even in waiting, we have active waiting and we have um, prayerful waiting. There, there's always some kind of movement. Waiting is not the same as being stationary. Waiting is not the same as falling asleep. So I, I feel like there's some, um, some things that the Lord has spoken to people, but they have not responded yet. And they're, in the, they're a little bit stuck in the waiting. And so if that's you, I just want to encourage you to come forward and get prayer today. Um, I also feel like there's some people who jumped in the wheelbarrow, did the, the great act of faith, and according to you, it felt like it flopped. Like you're looking back on it, thinking, Lord, what, what was that? Well, what did I, what, did I miss you altogether? And I feel like the Lord wants to speak to you this morning. Because hmm. even John the Baptist was in that place, wasn't he? He was a great man of faith, ran around in the wilderness, eating crazy bugs, dressed in a weird way, and living his life for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to point to the one, to point to the Messiah and say, there he is. And a year after that huge encounter, he finds himself in prison. 
And he sends his disciples, and he's questioning everything. Like, did, he, did, did I miss you altogether? Like, do I need to go look for him? Is the Messiah still there? Like, uh, did I miss it? Is my whole life purpose that I miss it? I thought I was jumping off the cliff of great faith. I thought I was getting in the wheelbarrow, but I'm, did I miss it? And we've been there. We've felt that. And I'm so comforted that John the Baptist felt it too. But I feel like the, um, the word of the Lord to those people, if that's you, is, no, you didn't miss it. So blessed is he who is not offended with me. Because there's going to be another wheelbarrow. So don't stop looking. Don't let the past, your interpretation of the past, change how you respond to his invitation to the wheelbarrow in the future. Amen. Because there's more. There's one leap after another leap after another leap. So keep moving forward. And if he needs to rewrite how you're seeing the past, he's really good at that. Does that make sense? Love that, babe. Yeah. And Jesus called John no greater man. Seriously. Born so among there's women. There's no shame. There's no shame. There's no shame in that because uh, seriously, <clears throat> after his disciples left, you know the story, Jesus turned to everybody and said, ain't nobody better than John. He's the best dude out there, right? That's my interpretation. <laughs> and just one more. Uh, may, maybe your leap into the wheelbarrow is just finally giving your life to the one who's given you life. <laughs> Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true reality. Jesus has always been the life of your design. He is the blueprint of your design. Jesus is God's mind made up about you. He's waiting. Sin is death. Jesus is life. He's not angry with you. He hasn't hated you. He's always loved you, even while you're in your sin right now. He, can't he won't love you more when you give your life to him because you already have the fullness of his love. You just don't realize it up here. And so repent literally means change the way you think about God and let him change the way you think about yourself. <laughs> How's that? Give yourself to Jesus Christ, please. Get in the wheelbarrow, man. Come to the living God who loves you so much, he gave himself for you, rose from the dead just for you. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You will. It's a guarantee. Amen? So jump into that. And if that's you, come see me. I want to talk with you.